And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello everyone and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm Joe Lowry and I'm joined by my co-host Jordan Angeli. Jordan, Another week, another chance to talk about the MLS offseason. How's it going? I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, it's winter time. We're all anxiously awaiting what's to come with Major League Soccer. And yep. I think this is a good way for you and I to just keep chatting and keeping things on the back burner, I guess. Hopeful. Yeah, we are. We're out. We are maybe hopeful. Maybe a schedule. Maybe a... Um, Anything? I don't know. We we always lean on Paul and Sam to let us know what's happening on players' side of things. Yeah, we are waiting for for really a big breakthrough with the CBA negotiations and things like that. But we don't know what's going to mm-hmm. happen with that stuff. And so in the meantime, we are preparing ourselves for the season to start because it, it we are optimistic that it will start at some point in the next couple or few months. And so we're going to talk about some stuff that's going to play a big part of the season as we get closer to that season actually starting. And I just feel like we're optimistic people. That's just who you <laughs> okay. and I are. Darn right. Darn we just right. just keep it positive. Well, we're going to talk today in a positive fashion for the most part, I think, about the new coaches coming into Major League Soccer. So we've got four coaches coming into the league who are going to take charge of an MLS team for the very first time in 2021. So that's Phil Neville joining Major League Soccer to coach Inter-Miami. That's Gabriel Heinze coming in to, to coach Atlanta United in the Eastern Conference. That's Hernan Losada coming in to coach DC United. And Josh Wolf, even though he was announced for Austin FC a long time ago at this point, or what feels like a long time ago, he will coach an MLS team for the first time in 2021. So those are the four new additions to Major League Soccer on the coaching side of things. And Jordan, it's a really interesting group. And we're going to dive into this more in just a minute. But this is a a very strange group because, number one, they're all really young. Losada is 38, Heinze is 42, Neville is 44, Josh Wolf is 43. These guys aren't super old, experienced, grizzled coaches. And then number two, I think think it's interesting, Josh Wolf has never been a head coach. Phil Neville has never been head coach of a club team. Gabriel Heinze has never coached outside Mm -hmm. of Argentina. And Hernan Losada has never coached outside of Belgium. This is a a group with very limited experience, but for me, that just makes them even more exciting for us to be able to get a look at them in Major League Soccer because we don't have a massive sample size on a lot of these coaches. What I also think is interesting, Joe, is you get South American in a couple of the coaches, Yep. you get American in the United States, and you get English, which I think are very can lead themselves to very different styles, and that could affect the way that these teams play. Well, let's talk about it, right? Let's get into the nitty-gritty okay. details. We want to give some some background up front on some of these coaches and then talk tactics. We want to talk historically about how these managers have set up their teams to play, what they like to do with the ball and without the ball, what tactics they use. So, Jordan, I want to start us off with Gabriel Heinze. He's coming in to coach Atlanta United, hired in December to take over and, and start the new era post-Frank DeBoer and Stephen Glass. 
He is Argentinian and he's young. Like I said before, he's 42 years old, at least young for a coach. And among the, mm-hmm. the soccer people that I know and the, the analysts and people involved in the league that I know, he was really, really highly regarded coming into Major League Soccer. People were very excited that Atlanta got their hands on Heinze. That was not a wordplay that I was intending to use. Um, <laughs> some alliteration there. But people were excited to watch this guy coach in Major League Soccer. They're still excited. And now that I've gone back through and watched film from him, I have a better idea as to why. All right. Well, will you lead us into that? Because I'm sure if you're an Atlanta United fan and you feel and hear and listen to that excitement, it makes you think Atlanta United of yesteryear, right? Of a couple years ago. There are undeniable similarities between Tata Martino's Atlanta United and and what I think we're going to see under Gabriel Heinze with this new Atlanta United. Last season, Heinze was coaching Velez Sarsfield in the Argentinian First Division. And in that season, Sarsfield had the third most possession in the league with 59.7%, according to FB Ref. They finished third in the league that season, which is an impressive finish on its own. The year before, they had a lot of possession as well. They had 58.4% possession. That's a key tenet of what Heinze wants to do when he's coaching a team, when he's coaching Atlanta United in 2021. Expect them to keep the ball. They like to keep it out of a number of different shapes. It could be a 4-3-3. It could be a 4-2-3-1. It could be a three-at-the-back formation. Regardless of what the shape is, it's going to be very fluid. They're going to move fullbacks inside. They're going to move midfielders back into the back line. They're going to move wingers even wider sometimes to stretch the field really, really wide and then play through the middle or then switch the ball over to the opposite wing. They'll do a lot of those rotations and fluid movements, but the key principle there is to keep the ball. Heinze wants to keep the ball to break the other team down, and his Sarsfield team was really, really good at doing that. Do you feel like that's a good translation to Atlanta United with who they have and then potentially um, who they could be this this upcoming year? I think it can work. I think it can work with the squad that Atlanta has, but I do think we're going to see, and it's been reported that we're going to see more moves added to this squad. And so right now, Atlanta squad has some question marks in it. They have question marks in terms of specific players and their ability to impact a team in Major League Soccer, and they also have question marks in specific position groups. One of those has been addressed recently with Lissandro Lopez coming in up top, and we don't really know the status of Joseph Martinez's ACL and and how his knee is doing right now. And so the striker position seems to have been at least temporarily addressed in his absence. But I think there are lots of pieces with Atlanta that could fit in terms of what Gabriel Heinze wants to do. With Velez Sarsfield, a lot of his team's possession was focused, and a lot of his movements in possession, were focused on the wing players. Yes, they build through the center a lot, but it was the left back that would sometimes become a left wing back or the right back who would become a right wing back. Those players are so important to stretch the field horizontally and create that central space. George Bellow is a guy who could develop even further under Gabriel Heinze, who played as a left-sided defender for a lot of his career. George Bellow could be a recipient of of a lot of minutes this season like he was last season and continue to develop. Maybe we see Jurgen Dahm or Brooks Lennon on the right side have a similar impact under Heinze. There are players on this roster right now who I think will benefit from Heinze's tutelage and I think will also fit really well into his offensive system. And one, I like that shout with Bello and tapping into the resource of his new head coach of the knowledge he has of playing on the left side, on the wing. And then... When you're talking about just being a possession-style team and building up, I do think that that benefits Joseph Martinez, who, if he is healthy and is back, he is a player that 
knows where to be in the box when a team builds it up solidly. Not that he can't transition quickly and be that player who can break lines um, through the midfield and get in behind. But I do think if you have a a team that's playing like that, you want a Joseph Martinez center forward who will figure out a way to get on the end of anything. 100%. I tweeted out a clip of Heinz's Velez Sarsfield team in possession yesterday, I think it was, or a couple of days ago, over the weekend. And the movement and the possession rotations, a fullback tucking inside, a midfielder dropping back, all the things that I already talked about led up to their forward getting a chance in the box and, and their attackers having a chance to shoot on goal. Joseph Martinez, I think, will love playing under Heinze because their personalities will push each other to be better, number one, and Martinez will be in position on the field to be the recipient of so many balls into the box and so many clear-cut chances as a result of how Heinze wants his team to set up. And we've gone a little bit long on Heinze for what we want to do today, but I want to talk about his defensive tactics very quickly. Number one, they can be vulnerable to counterattacks. Heinz's Velez Sarsfield team pushed so many numbers forward in possession. They kept the ball so much that it leaves space in behind for the other team to attack into. So that's, that's something for Atlanta fans to watch out for this season. And then the second thing quickly is, is at Velez Sarsfield, Heinz used a, a man zone hybrid defensive system. So all of his outfield players, huh. when they're back defending, would be very tight to players, but very tight in their zones. So imagine, Jordan, that you're playing center back and, and someone comes into the zone right in front of you. Your job, even if they're five yards away, is to step aggressively to them. And that's great because it puts pressure on the ball. It puts pressure even on players who are off the ball, but it's dangerous because it leaves pockets of space for the other team to attack into in behind. So it's it's not quite a Matias Almeida man-marking system, but it is close to that. It has shades of that, and it, it cost Valais Sarsfield at times in the back with their defenders getting pulled forward and then attacked in behind. So something for Atlanta United fans certainly to watch for in 2021. You set the standard high there, Joe, for <laughs> the first little uh, recap of a new coach that we're going to see. So on to me. You ready for my first coach? Take it away, Jordan. I'm going to go to DC United and Arnon Losada, the new man in charge after a long uh, a long time with Ben Olsen and not seeing um, any changes there. So I think what we're going to see is a lot of changes here for DC United. I'm going to start off... I know you mentioned it last week, but he'll be the youngest head coach in MLS at 38. And he comes into DC with a lot of praise about who he is as a manager and how he's this up and coming managerial mind in at least Belgium and really in Europe. And so he comes in from Beershot in Belgium, which he, uh, he promoted the club into the, the first league. And when he left, they were in 10th place. So. The other thing you mentioned is they are a high-scoring team, but they also give up a lot of goals. Oh, yeah. And so I think that this is a really interesting thing, him coming to D.C. Uh, there's a lot of talk about, um, and I heard people in the D.C. circle say, he's a high energy, uh, he wants his team on the front foot, which just makes me laugh because how many times do we hear that when, when new coaches come into whatever league it is? Um, but really, he actually is. I think... When I watched some of the highlights and um, tried to get as much play from Losada that I could, his team wants to play vertically. And I think first and foremost, wherever he sets up, if it's in a 3-1-4-2 or a 3-4-2-1, sometimes even in a four-back and a 4-3-3, 
He wants to transition as quickly as possible from a defensive shape into an attacking structure, into an attacking minded, let's go and put pressure on the other team. Um, He really believes in playing vertically as quickly as possible, which is contrast, I think, to a lot of what we've seen from DC United in the past. Losada is an interesting one for me because from the bits and pieces that I've watched of his bear shot team, they had games where they would have 26% possession. They had games where they would have mm-hmm. 30% possession against some of the bigger teams in Belgium. But then they also had games where they would control the ball and they would control the tempo at least for specific moments. And they would get into a really nice possession structure with three at the back and, and move the ball wide and then back centrally and then forward. They would do really nice things in possession, but I can't get a read on whether that's a consistent tactic or whether right. or whether Losada would always prefer to be back defending and then counterattack and then press high and create all right. those transition moments. I'm so curious to see how that's going to play out in MLS. Which I do think it's nice to have the difference there, to have two dual different ways that you can play because it... I think it for when you're playing an opponent, they don't know what's going to happen next, right? You can kind of switch in and out of that. So one thing I would say is they do want to play vertical and they do want to transition as quickly as possible. But when they do have the ball, I would say Losado wants a player. If I would say one player on the field is more important than any other player in any of those structures or formations that I just said, it's a pivot player. He wants a player that can play in that holding mid spot who can create... Um, either a diamond with a three back and be the center of that or a triangle with the two center backs and really be the player who not only can uh, receive the ball and face forward and break lines with passing, but also recognize when he is, there were moments when that holding mid would be uh, shadowed because opponents know how much they want to use that player and willing to get in behind and be a player who Honestly, that holding mid can break lines, and he wants them to get in behind uh, even the attacking mids, even the strikers at moments to try to release some pressure. So I really think that pivot player for Losada is someone that he relies on heavily, and it kind of makes all the other movements um, become more fluid when that player is solid. Jordan, talk to me about the defensive side of things. We've talked about what he likes to do with the ball, or at least historically, and that applies to all these managers, historically what Losada likes to do with the ball. But what did his beer shot team do when they didn't have possession? I was going to go there next, so you read my mind. That's perfect. Yeah, and the things that I saw from Losada, defensively, they looked like they were in a 5-3-2 block. Uh, and the reason why I saw that, it speaks to... What I just said is if you want to transition quickly, it's nice to have two players at the front of that block and maybe a third in the midfield that can get out quickly. And so in that 5-3-2, they can sit in and try to make teams play in around them and not through them centrally. And the one thing I saw is when they tend to, tended to get broken down was when one of those three midfielders in that 5-3-2 block wasn't engaged. If they are slightly out of place, if they're not willing to do the work defensively and looking to transition and looking for that outlet, they can get broken down pretty easily because then the shifts have to happen and the gaps centrally open up mm. and there tends to be a little bit more space for the other team to play. So it's a high risk as, uh, as we mentioned, or as I mentioned, they got a lot of goals scored against them, but it's high reward as well in a lot of aspects. 
it's going to be different for DC United. It's going mm-hmm. to be unlike anything DC has seen for the last 10 years. Not that he's, not that Losada is going to come in and change 100% of what Ben Olsen was doing on the field, but there are going to be different specific principles. There are going to be different specific tactics and players are going to be set up in different ways, whether that's in potentially a 5-3-2 block that steps forward to press sometimes as well. I think, I think Hernan Losada's beer shot team was also one of the highest pressing teams in Belgium's first division last year. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that, Jordan. Right. Well, I think that is, there's a balance. There's going to be that balance, right? There's going to be times where they step high up the field and times where they drop back. And we're going to get more clarity on, on Hernan Losada as he comes to DC and actually starts coaching. And some of these players might be positioned to, to have, higher output attacking seasons if that goal scoring record continues from Belgium. And that leads right into a question we actually got from Warren on Twitter who asks, of all the underperforming attackers from last season, he cites Edson Flores, Julian Gressel, Ola Kamara, who, Jordan, do you think is the most likely to thrive under Hernan Losada in 2021? I think it's going to be Julian Gressel. Because there are, there is going to be some freedom for him to transition and be able to pick up the ball in those transition moments and go and attack. Um, not that we didn't see that from him in last year, but I do think that there is going to be the, a fluidity to the structure that is different than what he had under Ben Olsen that I think will benefit Julian Gressel. So he's kind of the player that I see will really benefit from this. And I think. Um, everything we've known of him, he, he, he tends to thrive in those types of positions. But the, the thing that I'm curious about with DC United is if you rely so much on a pivot player, who is that pivot player? Right. Because I don't know if it's Russell Knauss, because I know that he can provide the defensive grit and, and tactics there, but can he be as active, uh, searching for ways to get forward and break the, break the lines in front of him. So I think that that might be a place where if I'm DC United, I'm looking to fill that or add more depth to that area. These rosters are going to continue to evolve throughout the rest of the offseason and in through the rest of January and even beyond that as we look forward to games actually starting. And that pivot player, I'm 100% with you, Jordan, is going to be a big mm-hmm. part of, of both the defensive side of things for Losada's DC United and also how they build in possession and how they get out in transition. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
So Joe, we've gone through two coaches. How about I throw it back to you and we continue this forward? Fantastic. My next coach and our third coach of today's show is Josh Wolf, taking charge of Austin FC. He was named their head coach way back in July of 2019. That's about 28 years ago at this point, if I'm doing my math right. Um, <laughs> at that time, back in 2019, he was an assistant on Greg Berhalter's U.S. Men's National Team staff. Before that, he was Berhalter's assistant in Columbus. And even before that, he spent a season as an assistant coach with DC United under Ben Olsen. So Josh Wolf has been an assistant. And, and before that, he was a player in Major League Soccer, a little bit in Europe, and then with the men's national team as well. But his coaching time has been solely as an assistant. This is going to be his first foray into taking over as a manager and actually leading a team on the sideline. We don't know what we're going to see from Josh Wolf. We have pretty much nothing but question marks at this point. That was going to be my first question, Joe, is what do we know? <laughs> we do know a few things. So I went back through and was reading stories on Josh Wolf and trying to find interviews of him talking about tactics. And I mostly came up empty. But I did find a few pieces from Chris Bills, who is the go-to guy for Austin FC coverage. Chris has written a few different pieces about Josh Wolf's coaching career and his outlook on the game. And in those pieces, I was less interested with, with comments from Wolf because they tended to be more of those generic classic coaching comments. This is not a shot at Chris or his writing. This is just the way it is. I was less interested with Josh Wolf's comments and more interested with comments that other people in the American soccer world made about Josh Wolf. So let me give you a couple examples here. Hmm. Jimmy Conrad. Okay. Jimmy Conrad called Josh Wolf calm, which reminds me a lot off the top of Greg Berhalter, but we can talk more about that in just a minute. Yeah. Will Trapp called Josh Wolf a good communicator, and Peter Vermees called Josh Wolf, and he coached Josh Wolf as a player. He referred to Wolf as hungry, hungry to coach and hungry to get a chance to lead a team. Calm, good communicator, hungry, those are, on the surface at least, good attributes to have and, and to hear if you're an Austin FC fan about your head coach, who has never led a team before, but has clearly some pedigree in the American soccer world. Yeah, and good descriptors. I like those words. If I'm a player going into Austin FC, I'm listening to those words and saying, oh, this sounds like a guy I want to play for. It does, right? It sounds like a coach who is equipped to coach a team and, and to lead a team but then that leaves the question, okay, well, what is that team actually going to look like? And I think it, it would be foolish of me to not think there will be some similarities between how Josh Wolf coaches soccer and how Greg Berhalter coaches soccer. I don't know exactly what those similarities will be, but it seems to me from the buzzwords that Josh Wolf has thrown out there that we are going to see some, some high possession soccer. They're going to see them want to control the ball and to play with energy. And now I'm just doing the buzzword thing. We're not really getting anywhere, right? But we're going to see, it seems to me, if I had to guess, if I was a betting man, I would guess that we would see some form of a 4-3-3 and we would see them try to control the ball. Whether or not they'll be good at controlling the ball is a totally different matter. But I would guess that that would be the rough sketch of how Austin FC lines up. And, and there have been some positional moves and some personnel moves that I think agree, or I think that lead me to that conclusion. They drafted, and this is, this is man, maybe this is me grasping at straws here, but they drafted with the number one overall pick this past week in the MLS Super Draft. Instead of drafting Mayaka, who's more of a defensive-minded midfielder, they drafted Daniel Pereira, mm -hmm. who is a much more of an eight or a modern eight playing in front of a number six alongside another eight who will get forward into the attack and play in the half spaces and all of those things. Pereira seems to me, at least, to fit much better in front of Alex Ring and next to 
a Jared Stroud or next to a Diego Fagundes or next to another midfielder that they might bring in. It, it feels like to me that they're building a midfield that fits as a 1-2 midfield with 1-6 and 2-8s instead of a 2-1 midfield. Right. But of course, because I've said that right. now, they're going to come out in a 4-2-3-1 and they're going to play that shape all season long. <laughs> You know what? With the you're talking about just how there could be some comparisons with Greg Ber- Berhalter, and I think when we watch of the when we watch these last games that the U.S. Men's National Team played, I think of that player that you were just mentioning, uh, the draftee for Austin, being like a Weston McKinney and covering the ground and and relying on the solidity of Alex Ring behind him and. That could be something that Josh Wolf pulls in and tries to use that fluidity of his midfield and his winger is as a way to execute his game plan. But uh, the thing that I'm taking away is we got to kind of wait and see. Yeah, which is so uh, maybe this is just me and how I made, but that kind of that makes me so excited. That gets me so jazzed to get to see and, and to look forward to seeing some different things. Man, even in preseason, if we get a preseason, when we get a preseason. To get to watch Austin and see the early building blocks of what Josh Wolf is doing on the field, mm-hmm. that has me excited. And I was so desperate to get a glimpse of what this team could look like. I, I searched in Apple Podcast. I just searched Josh Wolf soccer, and I found an interview that he did with Glenn Davis down in Texas about, uh, this was months and months ago, right when they'd acquired their first DP from Paraguay, I believe, down in South America. And and Glenn Davis asked him a question, and I don't even remember what the question was at this point, but Josh Wolf responded and talked a little bit about and just said the phrase, our front five guys. And that made me think, again, that could be the 4-3-3, right? That could be the three attacking players and the two advanced central midfielders. It doesn't sound like that's a 4-2-3-1, right? Because in a 4-2-3-1, you have four guys in the front with the three attacking midfielders and then the right. one striker. So. I was digging deep, right. Jordan, and and that could be good, that could be bad, but it is an accurate indication of how interested I am to see Josh Wolf coach a soccer team. No, I like that, and I kind of I am with you. I kind of like I kind of like not knowing. When's the last time we had an MLS coach come in where we didn't know anything about them? Yeah, not, not anything, but we didn't we didn't know how they what they really like. We and, hadn't seen them coach. Yes, it's fun. Yeah, it's really going to be exciting. One one final thing before I flip it back to you to talk about our last coach of the episode. Daniel Pereira, the guy they drafted number one from Virginia Tech, he looks good to me. And I can understand yeah. from watching film why they picked him number one overall. I am, again, looking forward to another part of Austin FC, and that's getting to watch Daniel Pereira likely feature for them this season. He looks like a very strong, talented young player. Well, so much to look forward to. Should I head to the last coach, Phil Neville? Bring us forward, Jordan. Bring us home towards Phil Neville. Okay, at this point, if you don't know who Phil Neville is and who he was on the soccer field, I'm just going to let you go ahead and just go search that on the internet. You'll find all the things that he won and all the cool things he did. As a soccer coach, I'm going to start there. He has had a little bit of an experience. He was a coach with the England under-21s, and he was an assistant to his brother Gary at Valencia. And then his most, um, I would say, known coaching adventure was for the past few years, he was the English women's national team coach, which he took them to a fourth place finish in the 2019 Women's World Cup. So a lot of talk really over this last week in Phil Neville being hired is about how Miami, Inter-Miami, wants to change the culture of their organization, which is interesting, Joe. This is just their second year and they're already... They're already saying, we need to change our culture. So that really was 
right off the bat to me was interesting because David Beckham is saying, I wasn't involved enough. I'm going to be more involved. They bring in Chris Henderson, who is uh, not only a stellar soccer player in his MLS career, but has done such good things with Seattle. So he comes in and then you bring in Phil Neville, who I think when I hear everybody talk about him, especially David Beckham, who is now his boss, um, best friend boss is an interesting title, right? Um, David Beckham says he's one of the most hardworking players who is so meticulous about his craft when he was playing. I think that's going to really translate to Miami and how they figure out a way to reignite a culture. The culture conversation is an interesting one to me, and even the hiring process is an interesting conversation to me. But Jordan, let's focus our attention on the field, right? Let's let Paul and Sam dig into the hiring process and things like that. What does Phil Neville bring in terms of his on-field style, his approach? What can we expect to see from Inter-Miami in 2021? So I watched the English women's national team play against the United States, which I think this is a... um, Actually, a pretty good game to watch because the U.S. press pretty high and we see a variety of teams in Major League Soccer high press and put a lot of energy into winning the ball higher up the field. So what I saw from England is Phil Neville tends to uh, set up his team either in a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-1-4-1 with a lot of emphasis on that front solo player who was Ellen White, who is a, a player who can hold the ball up but can connect the lines but can also break the lines through central the central part of the field. So there's a lot of tendencies and a lot of different um, things he calls for that player to do in that 4-2-3-1 or that 4-1-4-1. So that's how they like to play out of. I think defensively, they like to high press in a 4-2-4, and they drop into a 4-4-1-1 type of system. So that's kind of a lot of the the teams that we see, right? Those are pretty standard generic things that they like to do. Absolutely. And so the things that I noticed from when I was watching the team play, uh, they want to play out of the back, which I think is something that Miami has the ability to do. But when you're thinking about Miami, what are the two places that you think, okay, they got to solidify these two places in order to do better next year? Center back seems like one of them. That's To me, that's where they need to get better. And I think Phil Neville... has a lot of trust in his center backs. Not only does he want them to play out of pressure, but Joe, he likes his center back to have the ability to get the ball in the middle third of possession and dribble and and get forward and be comfortable on the ball to not only be um, defensively who he needs them to be strong and organized, but attacking wise, almost become a playmaker in certain areas. So There could be some Miami games that you really enjoy what center backs do, but I do think that they need to enhance those spots in order to play the way that that Phil Neville wants to play. Are you concerned then about Nico Figal and LGP in the back for Miami? I I agree. Mm -hmm. If if we're looking at last season, they were not at their best. I think LGP certainly was not at his best. Figal was playing everywhere along the back line. Are you thinking that they need another center back brought into the roster or are you thinking that Phil Neville can sort of revive those two players after a rough season that they had last year? I think they can be revived, but the one thing about that is they do need competition. You need, you do need to know that if you don't play well, your spot is going to get taken. So I think that there needs to be someone that can come in that can at least compete for those spots and push them to be better. Um, the 
the thing that I noticed about the way I, I talked about the emphasis on that center forward, about on the forward, um, who is Ellen White for the English women's national team, but for Inter Miami is they have that center forward who could be Iguain or they could potentially bring in a, a different player who could connect those lines. But Iguain could be a perfect player for them to be that target player who sometimes drops into the midfield to connect the lines and allow the wingers like Lewis Morgan to get in behind and and run at pace in behind the back line of the opposing team. There is a little bit of fluidity in the way that they want to play and interchanging roles between the attacking midfielders getting outside on the wings and the wingers coming inside. I think that this could be a really, it could be interesting to watch Phil Neville with this Miami team and who they become in these next couple weeks because they do need some more players from all the transitions that they've had in the offseason. I think it could be a really interesting and tactically sound squad, which I think is going to help them because last year I feel like they broke down a lot centrally, which put a lot of pressure on their back line and their goalkeeper. So if they can structurally be set and tactically sound uh, through the different lines on their team, I really do think that uh, this could work well in favor of Inter-Miami. Going back to basics feels like it has a lot of value yeah. for Miami. Solidifying defensively first and, and strengthening the midfield either through new additions to the roster mm-hmm. or through just reverting back to defending fundamentally and staying in a block and being a little bit more conservative. It's not exciting, but but starting with those building blocks and then moving forward and then using whoever's playing as a number nine and, and using those wingers to come inside and do all those things in a 4-2-3-1 or in a 4-3-3. Yeah. I think there are opportunities for Phil Neville to look good simply because he looks better than Diego Alonso did and simply because he now has a a guy in the front office and Chris Henderson working above him and even David Beckham if he is able to make some good soccer decisions. There's a chance for Phil Neville to look good and, and look yeah. even better in light of how his perception has been and what people are thinking of him after his time coaching England because a lot of people in the English media weren't particularly impressed with his time there. And so this is a chance for him to come in and do what he wants to do to build a team alongside some of the decision makers in the front office. And and again, we'll get to see some things out of Phil Neville that we haven't seen before. And we'll get to see a new Inter-Miami team in 2021. Yeah. And I'm excited because I do think that there's so much potential in this club. And we've seen, as you said, the structure, setting the structure right in the defensive team, right? We saw that work with Nashville last year. So if... If they set up there and then work to become uh, this team who throws some different tactics at you offensively, I think it's a really good place to start. But question marks, yeah. still. Question marks abound with Phil Neville. They abound with Josh Wolf, certainly. Even with Hernan Losada after a, a pretty short managerial career in Belgium. And even with Gabriel Heinze. He's never coached mm-hmm. outside of Argentina. Now coming into a different culture, a different place, a different land. I mean, there are so many different question marks yeah. here with these group of coaches. And we've gone through some of the, the bare bones tactics and what we've seen from teams that they've coached in the past. But really, we're just looking forward along with everyone else to seeing what these coaches are going to put out on the field, what product, what style they're going to use on the field in Major League Soccer. And we've still got a little ways to wait before we get there, Jordan. Yeah, the anticipation. It's just going to build it up. We'll leave that anticipation, Jordan, until next week, where we will be back with another episode of MLS Assist, talking about off-season topics, talking about tactics, and, you know, most importantly, talking soccer. Jordan, it is always a pleasure 
to get to talk soccer with you, and I look forward to doing it again next week. Yeah, thanks, Joe. That was a great episode. Listeners, thank you for listening, and again, we'll be back again soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.